Am I on? Can you hear me? Check. There we go. So I've noticed that there's, a, there's been a trend in uh, kind of worship music and Christian songs over the last few years um, where there's, there's lines like this, like God is for us, God is not against us. And that's great. That's from Romans 8. So that's, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, I mean, we even do on who, who You Say I Am. My Hillsong says, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. So I, I've been wondering, though, why are people really feeling that? Because our songs really communicate how we're feeling. So I'm like, why, why is that such a line over and over? And I think, it's, I think it's such a theme that God is for us, God is not against us, because it's easy to feel like God is against you when you're going through hard times. It's easy to feel that way. And Job, we're going through the book of Job, and that's where Job is at. That's how Job felt in his suffering. But God swoops in in our scripture for today and actually reassures him of the opposite. That Job, I, I am for you. I am not against you, even though it feels like it. So we're in Job 38 to 41, if you want to start finding your way there. And just as a way, by way of review, so Job was this godly man who practically overnight lost all of his wealth. He was a very wealthy man, just lost all of his wealth and lost his 10 kids. And then he got boils all over his body, so his health is gone as well. Yet, he didn't curse God and actually chose to praise God. Just as we were just singing, I'm going to praise you anyway. This, this was Job. He was doing that. That was chapters 1 and 2. But by chapter 3, Job is in a dark spot. And he's grieving. And he's, he's super honest and he's wrestling with God. Um, but he's grieving well because he's wrestling with God. He's not running away from God. And then chapters 4 through 31, we saw that Job's quote-unquote friends give him this bad advice that really just added insult to injury. And they're just saying, hey, Job, this is your fault. You're being punished. And Job's like, no, actually, I'm, I'm innocent. And so they just go back and forth, back and forth. And then this, this other friend, Elihu, we saw last week in chapters 32 to 37, comes and gives some good advice. And he's like, no, 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 you're not, you're not suffering because of your sin." But he comes in and says, Job, the way you're responding some of the time is, is kind of sinful and prideful. And so God is actually teaching, teaching you things through this. And he's refining you through this, Job. So you need to be open to what God is trying to teach you through this. And he was making way for God's response today in chapters 38 to 41. Now God answers Job's question and our question. Every, every person who ever has lived has had this sort of question, and it's this. God, why do you allow suffering? Why do you allow suffering? And God answers Job, not with concrete answers, but he answers with something better. God answers with some reassuring words, some reassuring statements. And here's why he does this. Job wouldn't understand the answers if God gave them to him. And we wouldn't either. We don't have the right perspective. We are not God. We need reassuring words from God in times of trouble. And even though we want real specific answers, 
God goes, no, you wouldn't get it if I told you. But let me reassure you with some, some truths. And the first one we see in the scripture, the reassuring word he gives him, is that, Job, I'm here. And that's what he says to us in our trouble and our struggle. I'm here. So Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. The Lord answered Job. The Lord talked to Job. God answered Job personally. Don't, don't miss the grace. Don't miss the love, the mercy, the tenderness of God here, regardless of what God is about to say. He speaks to Job. Now, remember, Job is outside the town on an ash heap. Okay, He's the outcast of society. He's got boils. He's scraping at his skin. like He's, he's a wreck. And he, his friends, his so-called friends, who really weren't great friends, did join him, but just made things worse for him. And Elihu just challenged him rightly, but yet he challenged him. Okay? And so Job almost for sure feels very, very alone. Now, very few times does God speak directly to an individual in Scripture. You just don't see it. But God saw how alone Job felt, and he shows up and speaks directly to him. He has a conversation with him. It's like he's saying, Job, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you feel very alone but I'm here. Job, I'm sure, felt a godly fear when God started speaking to him, but I'm sure that he also felt very comforted and assured, and that's what the presence of God does. So when we're going through hardships in life, we need to hear from God as well. Because as we hear from God, it reminds us of his ever-present help in times of trouble. And the Psalms in the Bible are full of just raw emotion of people just crying out to God, yet anchored in the truth. We have the privilege that Job didn't have of God's very words at our fingertips. We have the Bible. God's word is God speaking to us as clearly as God spoke to Job right here in this scripture today. We need to recapture the wonder and the awe of God speaking to us when we open up our Bible. This is the God of the universe pausing to speak to us. This is God speaking. So when you are suffering, open up your Bible even more. And I know your feelings, when, when, when things are going, not going well, your feelings don't want to open up the Bible. But you need to hear from God. So when life is heavy, and you're like, I don't even want to read anything, ask a friend to read God's word over you or with you. Have a Bible app read it to you. Find some songs that just declare the truth from Scripture. I've been enjoying lately an album um, called Psalms from the Well, and it's just, it, it's, been beautiful. It's got Shane and Shane and, and other artists on there and um, just taking psalms and, and putting them in good poetic modern language. But there's all sorts of ways just to, to get into God's word, to have God's word read over us and spoken to us when we're suffering. And as we hear from God, 
when we're suffering through his word, even if, even if we don't even soak up much what we hear. Because when you're going through a really hard time, sometimes it's hard to even pay attention and focus and, and hear anything. But just to have that, God's word speak, uh, spoken to you and, and, and kind of pouring over your soul, let it be a reassuring reminder from God that he is here. Even if you're like not really grasping what, what you're reading, like let, let it be a reminder, God is here. So there's reassuring word number one. Just through him speaking to Job, I am here. And then reassuring word number two, I know what's best. Job 38, verse two. He said, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Okay, let's just, let's just pause there, okay? Ignorant words. So the New American Standard Version says words without counsel. So the concept here is an incomplete perspective. So what were those ignorant words that lacked perspective from Job? What did he say? Well, Job 13, 23, and 24, Job says, How many iniquities and sins have I committed? Reveal to me my transgression and sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? There's some strong words for God. He says, I'm innocent. This is Job speaking to God. I'm innocent, so why am I suffering, God? Why are you against me? When did I become your enemy, God? There's some incomplete perspective. Job started to lose perspective on who God was and who he was. And then at the climax of it, Job 31, 35, he said, if only I had someone to hear my case Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose his indictment. At the height of Job's questioning of God, he calls him his opponent, his enemy. He's challenging God. He's like, God, come at me. You don't want to do that with God. See, Job was so jaded and disoriented from his suffering that he forgot who God actually was and forgot that he had a limited perspective. So let me, let me show you an illustration and um, let me give credit where credit is due. Is Peter Bowman here? You, you gave me this illustration, so thank you. Th- thank Peter later. So here's uh, something he said at men's group. We're going through Job and men's group. Come on Monday nights, shameless plug. Um, but here we go. So this is a picture that I took. And you look at it and you go, what is going on here? Is this like throw up or gravel, desert? Like what? This, this is not a pretty picture, right? But when you zoom out, go to the next one. It's actually this. So me and some, some guys went to a dad tired conference. You should come next year. It was, it was awesome. But um, it was down in Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas. And... Uh, it was, it was beautiful. I actually had a great time with the Lord right about here, and a couple of guys uh, in our church got baptized right about here. Um, it, it was an awesome weekend. But when I just focus in on that, it makes no sense. Kind of ugly. You're like, what is going on here? And this is, this is what's happening here with Job. See, Job, Job was focused in on his limited perspective, because that's all he could see. And that's all we can see when we're going through a hard time. But when you zoom out, see, God's perspective is beautiful. He's got the whole picture in mind. 
But all Job could see is the gravel. And that's all we can see too when we're in hardship. And that's all we can see ever. But God can see the whole picture. So how does Job, and how can we know for sure that God knows best? Well, God reminds Job and reminds us by reminding us of his character. So God knows what's best because he's eternal. So let me just kind of walk through some of these scriptures. You can follow along. I'll be kind of skipping along through these chapters. So Job 38 verse 4 says, Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. I think this is fascinating, the way God goes about this. So God really drives home his point to Job with a series of questions. And, and Job, see, Job wasn't around when God established the earth. So God's kind of snarky even in this passage, which I, which I think is kind of fun. Because um, I always thought kind of sarcasm, snarky, maybe not the most godly. Sometimes it isn't. It's used in an ungodly way, but it's like, oh, God's getting a little snarky here. This is fun. So where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if, tell me if you have understanding. Uh, but he, he just drives it home. But Job, see, Job wasn't around. God was around then because he's eternal. He has eternally existed. God always was and always will be. And that, that is perspective. He alone knows what's best in each and every situation because he always has been and always will be. He, he knows the whole picture and we don't. God knows what's best because he's eternal. God knows what's best because he's the creator. We keep reading Job 38, verse 5. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds in, in its garment? And total darkness, its blanket, when I determine its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no farther, your proud waves stop here. So Job, or God is saying to Job, I know what's best because, hey, I created everything. God created every single thing, so he knows how it works best. Think of it like this. I'm sure as a kid, uh, you, you, at some point as an assignment, had to come up with some sort of board game. Like you have to make up the board game, which means you come up with the rules as well. But if you just hand that board game to someone and don't give them the rules, they're going to be really lost. Even if you like copycatted Candyland, they don't know that you copycatted Candyland, which is what half of us did when we got that assignment, if we're honest. But um, maybe just change one little thing. See, this is how it is, though. We don't know what's best. We didn't create everything. God created everything, so he knows how it works best. Sometimes it doesn't appear that it's the best. But that's simply because, again, we have a limited perspective. So God knows what's best because he's the creator. God knows what's best also because he's the sustainer. We actually see this. I'm not going to read these verses, but in chapter 38, 12 to 35, you see this all over these verses. He doesn't just create everything. He did, so he knows how it works best, but then he carries everything out in the best way possible. He keeps things going in the best way possible. He's, he doesn't just 
wind the clock and let it go with the world. No, he sustains everything. God also knows what's best because he's omniscient. Omniscient just means, omni just means all, all encompassing. So he has all wisdom. Job 38, 36 says, who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Well, God did. So think about it. God gave us minds to even have thoughts. See, no amount of wisdom or understanding by us comes close to God's. A.W. Tozer, in his classic work, The Knowledge of the Holy, said this, to say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. Does that blow your mind? God God can't learn, and he's never learned, because he's always known. Omniscient. That's why he knows what's best. God knows what's best, also because he's the provider. Job 38, 39 to 41 says, Can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? Who provides the raven's food? When it's young, cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. He's talking about lions. He's like, how, Job, could you provide for these lions? See, God is the provider of literally every bite of food that we've ever had, but it's more than that. He's the provider of any bite of food that any creature has ever had, but it's more than that. He's the provider of anything that anyone has ever had. God knows what we need because he knows what's best. Now the struggle comes in when we, because we convince ourselves that we need something that we actually just want. But that's probably a whole other sermon. So we'll just leave that there. But God knows what's best because he's the provider. God knows what's best because he's omnipotent. He has all strength. Job 39, 19 to 20. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His proud snorting fills one with terror. So he's talking about the horse. Job, can you, can you give the horse its strength? And obviously they didn't have vehicles. That's why we call you know, the power within a vehicle horsepower. They, they obviously rode horses. So he's saying, hey, Job, do you have that strength? Could you put that strength within the horse? Could you put that hemi? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you guys could put a hemi in a thing. But he's just saying, could you, could you do that with a horse? No, I did that because he's, he's omnipotent. A.W. Tozer said it like this. The Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He spends no energy that must be replenished. Can you imagine that? Not ever getting tired or worn out even just a little bit, right? Sometimes we do the simplest of tasks, you know, like walking to the fridge and back, and I'm just like, oh, man, it took so much work, right? And God, for God, it's like, no, like, he could do the hardest task we can think of and not break a sweat. Why? He's omnipotent. He, is, he, is, he is, has all strength, limitless strength, and because God has all power he can be counted on to do what is best always 
He has no limitations keeping him from doing what's best. He's, he always does what's best. So even when you're absolutely devastated in life, like Job was here, hear the reassuring words of God. I know what's best. And it probably won't seem like he does. When you're going through a hard time, it doesn't seem like what's going on is best. But again, our perspective is, is off. And so God does call us to trust him, to trust God who has the best vantage point. God knows what's best. Reassuring word number three, suffering has an expiration date. Suffering has an expiration date. Job 40, 6 to 14. Chapter 40, verse 6. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Get ready to answer me like a man when I question you. You will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and glory. Pour out your raging anger. Look on every proud person and humiliate him. Look on every proud person and humble him. Trample the wicked where they stand. Hide them together in the dust. Imprison them in the grave. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can deliver you. So now God is going, hey Job, do you think you could administer justice as well as I could? See, he's saying to Job, my justice is perfect. Here's what God is not saying here. He's not saying, see, Job, it's really hard. I'm doing my best, and at least I'm doing better than you would, Job. I mean, he is saying that, but, but that's not merely what he's saying. He's saying, my justice is perfect. You could never carry out justice well. You just couldn't do it well, Job. But it's, it's more. You're not just to begin with, Job. I am. I always do what's right. And I always carry out perfect justice with perfect timing. And you couldn't even come close to that. Now, our struggles with God's justice are about his timing. We want justice and we want it now. But again, our perspective is skewed and we don't see the whole picture. But here's the deal. Every injustice will be dealt with by God eventually. Death and the devil are on a leash. We saw that at the beginning of Job. Now we see it at the end. There's a strange turn in chapter 40, verse 15, to talking about these two creatures. They seem like mythological creatures, behemoth and leviathan. So if you're into sci-fi, read Job 40, 15 through the end of chapter 41. Okay, I'm going to show you snippets in a second, but you'll love it. At first glance, God... It seems like God is just reiterating the fact that he's absolutely sovereign and reigns over everything, including the greatest creatures on this earth. But given that it's tied to this section on justice that I just read, I think there's more to it than that. Commentator Christopher Ashe says this, It seems that behemoth may be the storybook embodiment of the figure of death. And the Leviathan in biblical imagery is the arch enemy of God. Satan, 
So I would, I would agree with this commentator. Uh, and this is just one theory on what these creatures are. It could just be that they were actually talking about creatures that existed. But as you're going to see in a second, I don't think these describe any creature um, except for things that are in, like, in, in folklore. No, not dinosaurs, but, um, but fire-breathing dragons. Yeah, yeah. So it could be dinosaurs. Who knows? Um, that's another theory. But I just, I, I'm convinced that it's actually meant to be, to represent death and Satan. Death and the devil. Um, let me read a little bit. So, Job 40, 15 to 19. Here's Behemoth. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like cattle. Looks at the, look at the strength of his back and the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. His bones are bronze tubes. His limbs are like iron rods. He's the foremost of God's works. Only his maker can draw the sword against him. Now we see, fast forward a little bit, 41 verse 19. Here's Leviathan. And I want you to think, if you've read Revelation before, think of the description of the devil as a dragon in Revelation, as I read this. So, Job 41, verse 19. Flaming torches shoot from his mouth. Fiery sparks fly out. Smoke billows from his nostrils and from a boiling pot of burning reeds. His breath sets coals ablaze and flames pour out of his mouth. Strength resides in his neck and dismay dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, solid as metal and immovable. His heart as as hard as a rock, as hard as a lower millstone. When Leviathan rises, the mighty are terrified. They withdraw because of his thrashing. The sword that reaches him will have no effect, nor will a spear, dart, or arrow. There's a creature for you. I just think it makes sense with God talking about justice that he's saying, hey, Job, Death and the devil have an expiration date, and they're on notice, and I'm going to take care of them. Again, Christopher Ash says this, If we thought evil was bad, when we come face to face with the Leviathan, we realize it is infinitely more frightening than we had thought. You cannot begin to take on the problem of evil, Job, and you know that. But I can, says the Lord. That's the point. This awesome monster is a creature, a created thing. I made him too, and I can tame him. And he is on my leash, even if he cannot be on yours. See, death and the devil are put on notice. And we know that death and the devil are put on notice by Jesus' death and resurrection. See, death and devil are ticking time bombs. All evil and all suffering has an expiration date. So whatever you're experiencing in life right now and whatever you will experience, whatever suffering you go through in this life, one day it's going to be gone forever. Relief is sure. Relief is final. If not in this life, in the next. Death doesn't have the final word. The devil doesn't have the final word. Suffering doesn't have the final word for us. Jesus has the final word for us. But while we wait, 
and suffer and sometimes deeply. God is reassuring us like he reassured Job. I am here. I know what's best. And suffering has an expiration date. So God doesn't hate you. God loves you. And God isn't against you. He is for you. And even if it doesn't feel like it, he proved it. We've got an empty cross and an empty tomb. See, God proved to us that he's for us and not against us. By coming to earth as a man, dying a brutal death on a cross and rising from the dead to reassure us, I'm for you, I'm with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Let's pray.